welcome to the Sourced Week in Review podcast. My name's Michael Crutcher. Jordan McDonald, welcome. We've been absent for a couple of weeks. Yes, we have been away, haven't we? You have been the last couple of weeks, yeah. And I was away. And so it's still the week in review, even though it's like three weeks in review. <laughs> so, yes. But we've got a bit to catch up on because it's always busy from week to week, let alone when we've missed a couple of episodes. So we're back now. And we'll just get back into the things we've been talking about for a long time. This is episode 101 of the Week in Review, 111 of the Source Podcasts. Correct. Now, this one isn't – this is the Week in Review topic, but last – the week before. So, last week, there was a headline in the Financial Review that read, and I'll read it, Free-to-air TV beats streaming giants for events. Okay, and then this week we had the the reverse. (laughs) The polar opposite. (laughs) Streaming giant beats free-to-air TV for events. This has been an interesting couple of weeks. Last week the uh, federal government sided with the free-to-air TV, a topic we've discussed on several occasions on this podcast. Yeah, putting, making sure that any TV sold in Australia must have free-to-air TV um, icons in a very prominent position. So yeah. basically... Just favouring their apps. Protection racket for the yeah. free-to-air apps. Correct. So that's what this Financial Review headline read when it said free-to-air TV beats streaming giants for events. This week we had the news that the International Cricket Council had given its exclusive rights in Australia for its tournaments for the next four years to Amazon Prime. When we say the ICC tournaments, we mean we mean the World Cup yep. of cricket. Mm-hmm. That's the fifty over, the World T Twenty Twenty Over uh, Cup, even to the World Test Championship final. Some four hundred and forty-seven games all up over that period go to Amazon Prime, which exploits a loophole in the anti-siphoning legislation, which we talk about here. That legislation, of course, looks uh, ensures that free-to-air TV gets first crack at major sporting events. However, when it comes to the Cricket World Cup, it is only for games involving Australia in Australia or New Zealand. The next World Cup in the 50-over format will be held in Southern Africa. Right. That means that Amazon Prime gets a big loophole and cashes in. So it is... Significant just to bring this up because it's a a pretty big shift. It's the most significant sports deal in Australia to go to a streaming service that doesn't have an attached free to air partner. Yeah. Okay. So this this is uh, this is interesting. Now it also shows us that um, that live sport remains a really big target for free to air TV. Oh yeah. And the government. The federal government's already extended the uh, anti-siphoning legislation mm-hmm. for another three years. Okay. It's just done that recently. So there's a few things to discuss here, which is, you know, really interesting. One of the ones is just this power balance in Australia between free-to-air TV and also streaming, you know, non-free-to-air. And it's such a difficult one to actually get your head around because – Anytime you read coverage of it in Australia through media, it comes from the lens of a company that has an interest somewhere there. Right. Okay, so um, let's look at the Nine Entertainment Group. So 
owners of Channel 9, of course, uh, owners of The Age, the Sydney Morning Herald, yeah, yeah. Um, the Brisbane Times here. Uh, also, of course, owner of Stan and Stan yes. Sports. Of course, so, of course. So, you know, I'm sure Nine would like the free-to-air stations to get first crack at these things. But then you look at what comes over in the News Corp coverage and, of course, News Corp, owner of so many mastheads in Australia, yeah. the Australian Daily Telegraph, Herald Sun, Courier Mail, uh, but also owns Fox Sports, which, of course, showed the last World Cup. Yeah. But it showed the last World Cup which Australia won a few weeks ago for the men with a free-to-wear partner showing the Australian Games. Right. Okay. okay. So it's hard just to sit there and just get a cold analysis on this. But where I guess I don't have sympathy for free-to-wear TV here is that for mine, free-to-wear TV has treated that anti-siphoning legislation with contempt when it hasn't been interested in some sports. <laughs> So the anti-siphoning legislation doesn't say to these sports that you will be seen on free-to-air TV. All it says is that if free-to-air want to show the sports, they can show them yep. with first first choice at it. Yep. And so free-to-air has just walked away from some sports it doesn't really see interest in. Mm-hmm. So it all goes one way from my viewpoint yeah, no, on that's this. that's true. So I, I don't have any sympathy for free-to-air in this. Um, they do get first crack at it. Uh, for many things and also they don't have the budgets to show all of these sports themselves live so it's not as straightforward as as people think now for cricket one of the issues with cricket now is that it's going to have its product shown on a bunch of different providers so we'll have channel seven in the summer here showing certain games the um the uh, Big Bash T20 began last night yep. and that gets shown some games on Seven, some games on KO slash Fox. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to watch the World Cup now, you're going to have to get Amazon. Amazon, yep. So it's, if you're a cricket fan in Australia, you start to need to get a bunch of different subscriptions. You get a few, don't you, then? To watch that. And that, that's, that, but that's just the nature of... Now, if we mention this in America, well, that just happens all the time. Because the NFL are showing they're used so, to it, yeah, that, they're yeah, showing yeah. that. So, here's a question for you, Jordan: Would you subscribe to any one streaming service just to watch a particular sport or sporting event? Oh no, not just one sport. It would need to be a combination of sports that I had an interest in. I can't justify paying a streaming price just for one sport. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and I remember when I was considering Ko at the time, I wanted to know what sports on there that I actually would spend time watching. Yep. Try and get the value for money. So there was enough on there. But, um, yeah, I couldn't do it just for, for, for one. No, not at all. This would be so interesting to see the way Australians react to it. So when the next, say, big ICC tournament comes around and it's going to be on Amazon only, mm. I'll be interested to see how many Australians go, you know what, I'll take out a subscription because I want to watch those games. Yeah. The difficulty in, in particular with those games that are on um, in the Southern African time zone, so the European time zone, yeah. sometimes those games can just disappear on you in the middle of the night. That's true. I didn't even think of that. So, you know, for instance, you wouldn't get a game that sits more in the Australian bedtime than a day-night cricket match in Africa or in uh, <laughs> England for that time zone. 
because the first yeah. ball sometimes in the African games is 10.30 p.m. First ball. First ball. Finishing at around about 6 a.m. Australian time. Yeah, that's an all-nighter. So, and then you can just jump out, jump on YouTube and watch the highlights. Yeah, the highlights. That's it. So, I don't know. A lot to – we'll learn a lot with what yeah. comes up. Now, what have we learned this year when it comes to TV ratings, Jordan? Because the ratings year is over and it turns out that – Maybe there's not a clear winner. Maybe there is. Talk us through these different takes on what's happened. Yeah, well, there's no surprise that Nine and Seven both claim that they've uh, won the, the year of ratings. Nine claims that they're the number one network across all the key demographics for the fifth year in a row. And Seven claims it's the number one network across Australia. Okay. So they're all, they've got their own lens on, on, the, on the data there. And the confusing part about that is they're both technically right, depending how you interpret the data there. Um, so there's a few different ways the networks are looking at this data here. So nine and seven focus on the commercial share of audience, which means they bump out the ABC and the SBS from yes, their yes. Uh, data because they're not uh, they're not necessarily commercial enterprises in the same way that nine and seven are. Yep. Um, Seven and nine obviously generate revenue through the ads, whereas the ABC and SBS receive some government funding. Yep. Uh, if it wasn't clear. Um, so who is the winner? Who is the winner? Who is the winner? Um, it's, it's hard to say. Nine counted the data for the entire calendar year, which was January 1 to November 30, which is different to the regular 40-week ratings period that uh, starts February 12th this year, or started February 12th this year. Uh, this year. Um, Nine likely did that because the Australian Open runs over that January period um, and that's favourable for them for the ratings. Yeah, I just don't get that. I've never understood why there's a defined ratings period. Yeah, uh, it's odd because they do, they do it all year, but they've set this period. They do it every day. Yeah. It's bizarre. Um, you know, uh, there's a lot of money spent on sport, which, you know, I, I just don't know why it's not rolling in the sense of, you know, why do we wait till February 12 when the TV stations tell us, well, yeah. this is when we're going to, so you're going to start to... Uh, yeah, why 40 weeks? I can understand why radio does it because radio has people on holidays and having leave. Yeah. I get that, but TV's TV. Shows are on. That's it. Uh, Nine also focuses on the five major capital cities and the key advertiser demographics there, which is at 16 to 39s and 25 to 54s. Yep. Uh, and the survey results do have nine as the winner in that regard. And because they don't consider the ABC and SBS, nine can claim that it recorded uh, the highest ever commercial share of any network with people aged between 25, 54 and 16 and 39, yep. which is a pretty great claim to be able to make. But then you've got seven. And according to the network, it was the second best year ever in its ratings <laughs> history, which uh, with its biggest share since 2018. Okay. The network endorsed its, you know, its consistent leadership across the year, which helped it win more weeks nationally than any of its competitors and achieve more than 40% audience share in capital cities for the third time. Okay, um, But Seven can also claim overall win across the 2023 Oztam TV rating survey, which is the ratings that we all use, and the 2023 calendar year to date, both nationally and across the capital cities. Yep. So Seven is also the only network to grow its national audience year on year, which is up 0.8 uh, commercial share points from the 2023 yep. survey. 
and grow its commercial share in the capital cities in the calendar 2023 year. So I reckon seven's probably the winner this year based on that. But what about you? What do you think? Oh, well, it's just, it's a bit like uh, media outlets who use that data to say <laughs> they're the most read media outlet in the country. Of course, like the papers, isn't it? Yeah, I, 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 you always know when the data's coming out because every paper on a Monday will claim that they're the winner in different formats. So it's, it's confusing. I don't think audiences care less about it. Obviously, advertisers... Uh, they want them to care about them, so they'll take ads with the highest rating stations. I get all that. Yeah. But it is, um, yeah, it is confusing. Now, you haven't mentioned Channel 10 much there at all. Yeah, they've had a pretty difficult year in comparison, but they've they've taken their own angle to the results this year. They've uh, they secured nine of the top 15 entertainment shows, both in the under 50 sector and the 16s to 39s age group as well as eight of the top 15 in the 25s to 54. There so we go. Every child wins a that's prize their, here. Yes, exactly right. It's their impressive accolade because it means that the network has dominated the individual programming in the young, younger demographics and those audiences are still important to advertisers. However, Nine was very quick to remind them that they dominate the overall share in the 50s demographic, which is indeed true. Well, my head's spinning. <laughs> so... Let's see what happens next year. I'm sure we'll start to see all the ads for 2024. Of course, of course. As the summer sport rolls out. Now, this week, we don't often talk about politics on this no, podcast. No, generally a politics-free zone. We try to stay away from it for everyone's health, but we want to bring something up oh, this you week. You couldn't not bring it up this week. This is a shocker. Let's just call it a dog of a press conference, <laughs> a complete dog of a press yes. conference. It involved Federal Attorney General Mark Dreyfus who was at a press conference with the Home Affairs Minister Mm -hmm. and the Immigration Minister to discuss the messy situation over the release of immigration detainees. Now, it was the first time they held a press conference since on November 8th. The High Court found that detainees could not be kept in indefinite immigration detention if they could not be deported. Right. Okay, so there's been a bit going on with this, as we've heard. So the government says that the legal advice has made clear that a detainee's criminal record could not be used to keep them in, in detention. Now, since that ruling, at least three of about 150 people released from the detention have either been arrested or charged. Okay, right. so this has been an issue in federal mm-hmm. parliament during uh, the worst hour or so of anyone's day, which is question time, which is just a rabble that wastes everyone's time. But anyway, I'm <laughs> on a bit of a high horse here. So journalists get the chance to... Talk to the three ministers concerned for the first time at the press conference this week, at which Sky News reporter Olivia Kaisley asked the Home Affairs Minister Claire, Claire O'Neill if she would apologise to the Australians impacted by the alleged defending of the people who'd been charged since being released. So Claire O'Neill began to answer the question when Mark Dreyfus decided that he'd butt in because, hey, we need to have a bloke explain to us what's happened. Of course. So here's what Mark Dreyfus said. Woman on the weekend. I want to suggest to you that that question is an absurd question. You are asking a cabinet minister, three ministers of the Crown, to apologise for upholding the law of Australia, for acting in accordance with the law of Australia, for following the instructions of the High Court of Australia, 
I will not be apologising for upholding the law. I will not be apologising for pursuing the rule of law, and I will not be apologising for acting. Do not interrupt. I will not be apologising for acting. I will not be apologising for acting in accordance with a High Court decision. Your question is an absurd one. Well, Mark Dreyfus is not going to apologise. We get that. <laughs> Evidently. But <laughs> since then, the Prime Minister has told us that he has apologised to the reporter. Has he? Yes. Oh, apparently the Prime we Minister... We take his word for it. He has apologised to the reporter for the tone of his response. So in Might the end... It was a text. It was an apology. Yeah, I'd like to know <laughs> I how I imagine happened. it was just a text. Sorry, mate. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about that because what we talk about in this podcast is how you connect with audiences. Mm-hmm. Mark Dreyfus has had a shocker. It was just a really poor performance from Mark Dreyfus. You don't need to sound like an angry dad admonishing a child when you're the federal attorney general. You know, his voice was raised. The tone was threatening. It was. It um, really was. And not just that, you can't see on this podcast, obviously, the non-verbals. Now, we work with clients on presentation training and we're really clear on non-verbals and how important non-verbals are. Okay, so... Dreyfus's non-verbals were just poor. Reaching out, pointing, mm. pointing, staring with intent, like a real stare. Oh, absolutely. So, so watch that answer with the sound off, which is how you determine really the value of non-verbals. Mm-hmm. Watch it with the sound off, and it's even worse performance from Dreyfus. He looks angry, and he looks threatening. And then you get the fact that when you respond like that, the media rally around their own. Of course. It was a legitimate question. It was. Fair question. And then the media go, well, we're going to have to come around here and look after our own, even if we don't really want to. That's the nature of the media. Yep. So they rally around their own, and then you give more airtime to a story that has not been kind to the government at all. This has not been a good story mm-hmm. for the government. So then it gets more airtime, and journalists love nothing more than talking about themselves. <laughs> they love it. <laughs> this is a chance for journalists to talk about themselves. So all in all, the nation's chief lawmaker, just go and sit in the corner and have a think about what you've done. You had a poor day. Jordan, what do you think? I thought it was a classic example of a bloke mansplaining a situation that didn't need it. Oh, the mansplaining. It was terrible. <laughs> and you're right, the non-verbals were really prominent. You know, he almost came around the side of the mic at one point with his finger he over did. his head. It's, um, and he was really down the barrel to this poor reporter. He moved around the microphone he so did. he get closer to her. He did. He really, yeah, just tunnel visioned onto her. So I think it was poor form and uh, I hope the apology was, um, was decent. <laughs> well, it was a, just one of those things. Uh, and we thought the parliamentary year was over the week before. Unfortunately, it wasn't anyway. <laughs> It's over now. See you back in February, politicians. Now, streaming. We haven't spoken about streaming for a while, but some interesting stuff came out this week. Yeah, I want to run through it pretty quick. I have a couple of newsletter subscriptions, um, and this one looks at the state of streaming. Uh, There's a couple of interesting points here, but just keep in mind this is a a US newsletter, so it's about the US industry. But this stuff does trickle down to us, typically. Um, So we're not long off the back of the strikes in Hollywood, um, many of the streaming services during that time claimed that the strikes didn't impact their output of new shows in a big way, but yep. we're starting to see that it really has. That's right. Um, if we look at the top 10 streaming titles a month after these strikes have ended, 
You got Spider Man, Grey's Anatomy, Suits, Friends, Bluey. Wow, is this is, is this twenty twenty three? Yeah, all the lights we cannot see. Gilmore Girls, NCIS, Coco Melon, and Family Business. The only original series in there is All the Light We Cannot See. The rest are reruns or recent-ish movies. Grey's Anatomy, Friends, yeah. Gilmore Girls. Wow, we're getting back a bit here. Yeah. And a year ago, four different Netflix originals were in the top ten and the right. same was true in 2021. Okay. So there's a difference there. So with no new content, what do you reckon people have been doing? Yep. Cancellations are hitting new highs. So US TV viewers are cancelling their streaming services at record rates, according to research firm Antenna. About 6% of all streaming subscribers cancelled their service in September, uh, the highest rate since the firm started measuring the data in 2018, and the trend maintained that in October as well. So there's a few switching off. Yeah. Almost every service has suffered from the the increased churn. The rate of cancellations spiked most prominently at Disney+, Plus, Apple TV, Hulu, Max and Stars. I've never even heard of Stars. I haven't heard of Stars either. Must be a US thing. Yeah. Netflix, of course, is one of the few exceptions. Cancellations rose a little bit earlier this year when the service started to crack down on password sharing, but they have fallen back to normal and Netflix's overall cancellation rate is also way below every other service. Yeah. The password thing's worked out quite well for them. Um, I do want to do a quick dip into audio streaming. Of course. Because that's important, especially for Mr. Stephen Green, who is listening, I'm oh, sure. Greeny shared his uh, most shared, uh, his most streamed songs for the year. Oh, too. I didn't look at those. I better have a look. <coughs> the Rat. Yeah, yeah there's, a few, uh, there's a few older songs in there from Greeny's is there? list. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, the information this week is just a little update. So the number one artist on Spotify this year, no surprise, Taylor Swift. Amazing. Users, listen to her and get this, listen to her songs 26.1 billion times. I was in a vinyl shop the other day because I do <laughs> oh, like my vinyl. Yep. And all of a sudden these teenage girls were swarming through the record store buying Taylor Swift, Swift vinyl. Of course. Yeah. It's like, wow, because all of her albums have come out recently on vinyl. Mm-hmm. She's and re-recording albums too. Yeah, all these young girls are in there buying vinyl from Taylor Swift. They will do anything that Taylor tells it yeah, them to amazing. do. It's incredible. But she didn't have the year's biggest song. That went to Miley Cyrus with Flowers um, and that's based on the Spotify data. If you include all the data, it's probably Morgan Wallen who had the biggest song of the year, or right. biggest album of the year, sorry. A um, couple of other notable data points. Harry Styles, as it was, third most popular song on Spotify this right. year. But that song was released in April of last year. Okay. So five of the ten most popular albums of 2023 were released last year. Okay. Yes, yeah, so there's a bit of a trend emerging there. I'll talk about that maybe in a future episode. And uh, top podcast of this on Spotify this year, again, Joe Rogan. Interesting stat, though. More people get their news from Joe Rogan and Theo Vaughn than the New York Times, The Daily. Pretty yeah, insane. Really? Yeah. Okay. So that's the streaming wrap. Very good. It's good to hear all of that. A couple of very quick things. Uh, we just wanted to mention that in Canada, we've discussed this before, with uh, the Canadian government telling Google and Meta, um, as in Facebook, that they need to 
pay to show news on their services. Meta said go away and their traffic hasn't been impacted. Mm-hmm. Um, that was in September. Now, during the week, um, Google reached a deal with the news outlets in Canada. Yep. Around about $110 million Australian. Okay. It had been thought it to be as high as 300 something million Australian. Wow. So 100 million Australian, 110 million, sorry. It's a fair shave down. Be shared with um, news outlets in Canada mm-hmm. according to their size. Uh, Meta, nah, nah. Nothing yet. Nothing. Well, it's so, promising though for the Australian outlets. Hopefully, you know, if uh, things improve in time. They will want Meta on board quickly oh, yeah. and AI as well. And Google Trends, funny week for Google Trends. We just haven't had anything massive. Uh, I've, I've, look, I've got these in notes and they're so small a type. It's ridiculous. Yeah, quite faded. I'm holding these right up towards I am my straining. glasses. Now, just out of interest, we like to look at Google search trends to see what people are searching. The number one search trend in Australia for this week and more than double any other search trend <laughs> in Australia is. is, drum roll, Grand Theft Auto 6 trailer. Yeah, that's the big news. That's 10 years that game's been uh, – people want that game to come out. Over 100,000 searches on the Grand 17 or 18 million views on YouTube for that trailer in the first day. So can I just say I'm going to call it GTA 6. Good, that's, that's the lingo. That's what people are saying. Yeah, yeah. Look, running second to GTA 6 has <laughs> been searches on Cyclone Jasper. So that's getting up there. That's interesting. Among different – Search Must be some serious concerns. Before it was called Jasper, it was a search trend of Cyclone, QLD. Okay. And then soccer always holds up really well. It does. Um, great to see the WBBL final have a good search. Term yeah. of that, even though the poor Heat just lost. Oh. They did well to get there. And, of course, deaths of people in the public eye. A very sad news of the death of Labor Federal MP Peter Murphy. Mm-hmm. Her death attracted, you know, fifty thousand plus searches. So, very sad news. But it shows us that people are always very interested in uh, news of people who have died unexpectedly or people who have some profile. Um, what's the weekend hold for you? The weekend for me, not a whole lot. I'm picking up the um, repaired Apple laptop. Oh, yes, yes. I'll be picking that up. Yes, that's right. Um, and then I'll be very quiet. I think Shannon's got a day at the at the races and I'm just chauffeuring. Oh, right. So, oh, It's yeah. that time of year. Lots of yeah. things happening. What about you? Uh, no, just trying to get through things for the year. And, of course, the Big Bash has started, so that means that Christmas is almost here. I know. Nightly Big Bash games. It's all happening. Good luck to the Brisbane Heat. Of course. Uh, who began uh, last night. And see you next week. See you then.